So today we're getting back into the dating series. Uh, if you were out, we were going over this theme of meditation over the Thanksgiving holiday for the two Sundays that most of the students were gone. But today we're going to transition back into week four of the dating series. And so in our first session, just brief review, we introduced the topic of dating. And we learned that the, the Bible says a whole lot about the significance of marriage and singleness, but it doesn't say much about dating or this process of, of going from singleness to marriage. The scriptures don't recognize uh, inter, inter, intermediate stage, other than if you want to say betrothal. Um, it doesn't recognize any intermediate stage like dating. And that's important because you should remember that while you date, you're, you're fundamentally still single. So we sort of established that on the front end. And it doesn't command any one particular way to get from singleness to marriage. It gives lots of examples of how that's happened in the past, but no, no commanded methodology. And so in our second session, we looked at the purpose of dating. So if it's not really spelled out in Scripture, what, what should be our purpose as we date? And we worked from marriage back. So, okay, so marriage is one of the chief purposes here. But the way we framed it up is that we said our chief goal in dating is for God to be pleased and glorified as we go about the process. So if you think about the goal as a target, like a big target, that encompasses the whole target, God's glory. We want Him to be pleased and glorified in how we go about this dating process. And the center of the target is um, what we'll call testing companionship for marriage. That's really the... The reason that we're getting together, sure, is to have fun. All those things are included, and we'll talk about some of that today. But the, the target, what, what we're aimed at, is to see, okay, is this a wise decision? Is this something that we want to do together? Um, is this permissible by the Lord? And with marriage as its aim. And so, in our third session, since marriage is the goal, uh, we looked at how we should prepare for that. How we should, uh, what should be in our lives before we start this dating process. And we, we said that you should prepare because marriage actually increases your spiritual responsibility. And so does dating in a, in a kind of a lesser way. And, and an increase of responsibility always requires some measure of proven character. You don't just hand somebody new responsibilities at work if they haven't proven themselves in that. And that's just not how life works. And that shouldn't be how we, we treat dating. We shouldn't come into dating very casually thinking, yeah, it's just what I'm supposed to do. Um, we should actually be preparing for that because it, it is an increase in responsibility. So, we talked about that in, in week three in our third session. And today, we're going to wrap up the last formal teaching of the series. And we're going to be looking at the process of dating. The process of dating. So, what do I mean by that? Well, it's really just, we're going to explore how to, how to navigate kind of some of the particulars of, of dating. I don't want to just kind of leave you hanging out in, in theory land. Uh, I want to try to get a little more specific today. And we run a little bit of a danger because this is probably our least tethered message to the Bible. It still will be tethered to the Bible, but it's, it's probably the least tethered. So, um, I'll, I'll be cautious as we, as we proceed. But what I want to do is, is just sort of review the goal. So what's the goal of marriage in, in particular? I'm sorry, the goal of dating. And then to know, you know, knowing where we're going is really important. To, that, that, that really informs the process of how we get there. Then we'll talk through some of the things that should be in your mind as you spend time with, with another person. 
in the, in the dating relationship. And then where we'll spend most of our time is we'll talk through the stages of, of the dating relationship or kind of the how to navigate those stages as you date, not just the dating relationship, but all of, all of, all of the relationships from friendship to marriage. So uh, we'll look at how it progresses. So as we're going to begin our time together, I want to just ask sort of a review question. What's the goal of the dating process? Well, we just talked about it in our, in our introduction. And just in summary, it's, it's God's glory as we test companionship for marriage. So we know that, right? And in previous weeks, we've talked about what this testing of companionship actually looks like. It's, and we can kind of summarize it with three questions. Is this, is this relationship permissible in, by scripture? Meaning, is the person that I'm, I'm seeking to, to pursue or be pursued by, is this person a believer? Um, that's the taking Paul's language that she's free to marry whomever she desires only in the Lord. And not only in the Lord means she's this this young widow is she's examining potentials. They've got to be Christians. And so it's part of that to be um, equally yoked um, in in a relationship. So is it permissible? Is this something that this person I'm considering, are they actually bearing fruit in the Christian life? Do we have good reason to believe that they're a believer? And so that's really important, especially in the liberty culture, because everybody professes faith in Jesus from all stripes. And But, but we're, what we're looking at is, is their life marked by humility? Is it marked by a hunger to know the word of God? Is it marked by brokenness over their sin? And is it marked by an, an eagerness to repent and grow? And that's really the heart of a true believer. So we can be as passionate or as whatever... But if those things aren't there, then we, we don't really have good reason to believe that someone is a genuine follower of Christ. So, is this permissible? Is, is somebody genuinely a believer? So, that's kind of the first question as you test companionship. It's hard to be, it's hard to be a companion with somebody that's not a believer, right? So, is it permissible? And then, is it desirable? So again, drawing off Paul's language, she's free to marry whomever she wishes, but only in the Lord. So the, whoever she wishes, literally whoever she desires. So desirability is one of the things that we look at. So there's a lot of intangibles here. You know, do you find the person attractive physically? Do you enjoy their company? Do the personalities, you know, mesh well? Is it, is there a chemistry? Uh, I like to call it the X factor. You don't, you can't really describe it, but it's there. You know, you don't really, you know, you don't know how to articulate it, but. You know, you know when it's not there. You know, you know what I'm saying. So, there's this desirability factor, and it, it would be very unwise for you to get married and not really want to. You know, as weird as that sounds. Uh, so, we have freedom in Christ now in the new covenant to to do these things with in accordance with our desires. So, desirability is another one, and then the last one uh, we need to ask: Okay, is is it wise? Is it wise to marry this particular person? So maybe. Maybe they're a believer, and maybe it's, you know, there's some, you see some chemistry potentially there, but there may be some other areas, some some non-negotiables for you and non-negotiables for her or him that don't jive, and it's going to cause a ton of friction in your marriage. And so they can be worked through, a lot of those things can be worked through, but it may not be wise sometimes to, to get married to a particular person. Again, you have the freedom, but a lot of times desirability and wisdom are, are, are wed together there. So... Those are just some things that are sort of governing this process of how we test companionship for marriage. And that's really the goal. Do we work well together for the glory of God 
in some sense, better than we could as, as singles. So that's the goal, and that's really informing this process, really. So the second question we need to ask, or that I, I want us to ask here, is what is our grid system for navigating this process? What do I mean by that? My grid system for navigating this process. I mean, just rather than giving you a bunch of how-tos, I want you to think through uh, sort of principally a grid that you can kind of run your decisions through as you're entering into a dating relationship or as you're in one. So just really quick, we've talked about some of these before, but is Christ pleased by what we're doing or not doing? So if you're faced with a decision to make in a dating relationship, okay, should we do this, should we not, should we hang out here, should we just think, is Christ pleased with this? And that I'm drawing my language from 2 Corinthians 5.9. Paul says, essentially summarizing, in everything we do, we make it our aim to please him, and that's Christ. He's our Lord now, he's our master, and so we want to, we want to live our lives pleasing to him, including how we, we date. So, implication, if it's questionable, don't proceed until you can get clarity from the word of God. Just don't do it. No harm, no foul. Like, if it's questionable, you don't, you're not understanding if this is something that pleases the Lord or not, just hold back and then don't do it until you can get some clarity from the Word. Which leads me to my second element of the grid, is what do our authorities, our parents, our pastors, our disciples, think about what we're doing or not doing? One thing you need to be really wary of is if your dating relationship isolates you and it sort of you feel this temptation not to talk to people that are in your in your life, your parents, your pastors, your people that are involved, because it's like, I don't want to do that. You need to explore that. Why is that? Why do you not want to be out front with what's going on in your relationship? So what would our spiritual authorities say about the wisdom of what we're doing? It's a great question, because you can actually ask these people that question, okay? And they can usually point you back to helpful biblical principles to be applied here. Now, I know all of you don't have Christian parents. And so we'll talk a little bit about that as we go along. And that's why I put your spiritual authorities, plural. Because even if they're not Christians, you still have a responsibility to honor them. And they may not, and, and even obey them if you're, if you're tethered to that. And that what they're asking of you is not sin. If, what I mean by tethered is this. Are they supporting you financially? Are you under their roof, so to speak? Could you exist independently from them? That's the question. Uh, so I know some of you have unbelieving parents, so that's why I put others in here, like your pastors. They're also your spiritual authorities, disciples, people who are involved in your life. And usually when those three come together, you can, you can get biblical wisdom on an issue. And so really the principle here is you absolutely need others in your relationships, and particularly in your dating relationships, and the body of Christ is there as an asset for you in this, in this process. So bring others along beside of you to help you in that. And then last part of the grid here is asking this question. Is what you're doing most helpful and beneficial for the other person? Is what you're doing or not doing most helpful or beneficial for the growth, for the good, for the spiritual flourishing of this other person? Take yourself out of the equation. Are you regarding his or her interests as more significant than your own? From Philippians 2. Just apply that right to your dating relationship. And if you're acting selfishly, get it out. It's got to go, right? That's, that's got to be, yeah, that's gotta, it's got to leave our lives. So this is just more of a grid 
that's going to help you navigate what to do, not do, and all the particulars of the dating situations. And that's not really my thing to tell you, unless it's explicitly sinful, what you should or shouldn't do. So that leads us to our third question, and that's going to really take up the bulk of our, our time today, is how should I navigate the various stages in the dating process? How should I navigate the various stages in the dating process? So what I want to do, what I thought would be helpful, maybe it won't be as helpful, but it's, it's pretty self-explanatory, but go from friendship all the way to marriage and show you how this thing just blooms, how it progresses naturally. And we're not trying to, even though I'm an arranged marriage guy, I'm not trying to arrange your marriages. So if Eleanor ever hears this, she's going to be so embarrassed one day. Anyway, so how should I navigate? How should we navigate together these various stages? I want to lay out the stages for you and then talk through, you know, some of the particulars about each stage. Maybe some temptations, some, some of the goals that we should be thinking about in the, in the stages. So, first stage, friendship. So, this is when we're single and we're in the body of Christ. You can still be friends when you're married, though. You know, it's kind of cool how that works. But just as a single person, I'm, I'm talking mainly, you know, to single, the single category here. We should be friends with each other. And so you should be cultivating sincere, loving friendships with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because, you want to date them? No! Okay? Because we're part of the same spiritual family. That's our primary motive. Not just to get a girlfriend or boyfriend. Not just to see if you can date them. So, I want you to look at this text in, in, I want to explore this concept of familial friendship, okay? From 1 Timothy 5.1. This is like a go-to text. A lot of these texts I just keep coming back to and drawing out more implications from. But, in 1 Timothy 5, Paul is telling Timothy how he should relate to the various elements of the people in his congregation. And he tells him, don't rebuke an older man. But encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. So really, one of the things I want to draw out from this is just we are to interrelate as a single person, as, as family members in Christ. So if you're a guy and you've got a single lady that's in the, in the congregation, you should interact with her as a sister. Spiritual sister, and vice versa. If you're a lady, you should interact with the men as your spiritual brothers. And this should be our foundation um, as we think about dating. And we should treat each other like brothers and sisters in Christ. So, one of the things I think that happens is there's a, there's a paradigm, a spectrum. I can't remember if we've talked about this or not, so I'm going to say it again. If you think about the spectrum on the one side, or maybe the ditch, on the one side is we might call it promiscuous behavior or being flirty, flirtatious, those kinds of things where you're, you're trying to interact. That's one of, the, one of the wrong ways that we can interact with each other as singles, being flirtatious and promiscuous. Okay? On the other end of the ditch, on the other side of the spectrum, is being uh, paranoid, if you want another P. You know, you're afraid. You're sort of shackled. You're not, you're not really sure how you're supposed to interact with another single person that's of the opposite sex, so you don't. You avoid them. Uh, and and it's, uh, lots, of, lots of wrong interactions. You wouldn't interact with your sibling like that, so don't interact with your spiritual sibling like that. 
So we shouldn't be promiscuous, we shouldn't be paranoid, but we should strike a, a middle balance, stay on the road, and interact as brothers and sisters in Christ. So how do we do that? What are some of the, the we might say, characteristics of familial interrelationships? I'll, I'll list a few here on the right side. These relationships are characterized by care, concern, and self-sacrifice. Just think that through. Care, we care for an, another believer, or we care for our sisters or our brothers. We have concern for them, and we, we sacrifice for their good. So, same thing. Guys and girls, we should be doing that with one another. Second thing is with interest and knowledge. We should interact with each other with interest and knowledge. It's, it doesn't mean you like somebody as a boyfriend or girlfriend just because you're interested in their lives. That's just part of being a, a brother or sister in Christ. And we should get to know each other, meaning there should be knowledge exchanged about one another in, in that domain. And, we, and it shouldn't be with this pressure of thinking, why is he doing this? What's his intent? Or what's her intent? Or why are they talking to me? Just, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Third, uh, we should be encouraging each other between the sexes to grow spiritually. To grow spiritually. That should be one of our, our goals in the way that we relate to each other. And then these last two are pretty obvious. With love, biblical love, not cultural love, but biblical love, with, which kind of gets to the self-sacrifice and devotion idea. And with purity. And really in this text... Paul underscores this with, with Timothy here when he says, with complete purity, with all purity. There shouldn't even be a hint of impurity in your inner relationship with the ladies of this church. So that's how we should inter, interrelate as, as family members in Christ. And we'll talk about this purity one here in a, in a minute. And so, kind of still under this banner, the, the local church at, at TBC is perfect for sort of cultivating these these friendships. And we know and believe the same kinds of things. We have opportunities to, to serve together, be in a small group together, worship together, etc., etc., etc. Not that you can't have friends outside the church. You totally can and do. But this is a, a great place to be cultivating those, those friendships. And naturally, as you serve and grow together with your brothers and sisters in Christ, you get to know them, and you, you truly see where they're at spiritually... Uh, out of these healthy friendships, singles will no doubt at some point uh, find themselves having desires for something more than just a friendship for what we'll call marital companionship. And that's a natural thing. That's a God-created, given thing. So, so that will inevitably lead to the second phase that we'll talk about, which is I just call interest or exploring interest. So you've met somebody, you want to, you're interested in them, you have desires for them, you like what you see, and you want to pursue it further, well now what do you do? Well first, I'm going to sound like a broken record here, I'm going to keep coming back to some of these same things. My first bit of advice would be to, to get your parents buy-in, and your disciplers and your pastors buy-in that you're ready for this. Okay, Before you go and... Open your heart up to a young lady or a young man. Typically, it's to the man or the lady. We'll talk about that. Before you just lay it all out there, make sure that you've got a green light from the, your spiritual authorities. This will save you a lot of grief. Okay, If they strongly caution you against doing this, you've got to pause. 
and, and ex- explore why that is. What are the reasons before that, that I should work through? What are the reasons they have for, for not wanting me to get in this relationship? And let me work through this before I do it. It's amazing how much of this happens in isolation. These decisions that are made. These big, huge decisions that are made happen in isolation. And so, but on the flip side, if you have the green light, there's a lot of assurance that's backing that as you, as you go. And so, so how should you proceed with this, with this interest that you have? Uh, once you have the green light, it depends on what gender you are, okay, in terms of how you should proceed. So guys, since part of your role as a husband is to initiate, I think it lay, the burden lays on you to have the courage to put yourself out there first. Now, I can't go chapter and verse on you on that, but I am working back from this principle of marriage. So, in other words, don't flirt with her to try to get, to get her to show you her, her cards. You guys are all familiar with how that works. I was guilty of that uh, in my own dating relationship. I was coward at some level. And so I would try to feel it out to see if, okay, is, am I going to get rejected? Is this going to work? And so that's just not the way you want to go. Guys, we need to, we need to trust the Lord, be bold and confident. That's actually self-preservation in our hearts whenever we're doing that. So you need to trust the Lord, put yourself out there, take that, take that risk first. And ladies, be patient and probably be awkward, okay? Just, it will be. I'd rather have an awkward, courageous guy than a coward, smooth guy. So, speaking from a lady's perspective. All right, ladies. When this happens, this awkward conversation... Please give him an honest answer. Okay? And if you're not sure, that's okay. That's still, I can be honest, you know? I don't know. Let me think about it. Don't give him the runaround. Don't fear men or whatever the motivations are and, and really just try to let him down easy or whatever it is. Don't do that. Um, if you're not interested, tell him. Don't ignore him. Don't, just, just don't do that. Okay? That's a, a pitfall on this, this side. So, if you're not agreeing to marry this, or just, just know that you're not agreeing to marry this guy whenever he asks you if, if you want to go out for coffee. It's just the beginning of exploring if, if something could be there, maybe there. And so, um, and then ladies, I'll kind of throw this in there too. If you think a guy is just not getting his act together and needs to ask you out, come talk to me. <laughs> Don't talk to him, okay? Just come talk to me and we'll take care of it. All right, we'll close that chapter. So you're spending some time together. You're getting to know each other. You're testing companionship on the front end. You know, this is beginnings. And you're learning, essentially, what you're learning to do is you're learning to get to know each other, to ask good questions, to, to interact with each other well. And, you know, again, testing companionship is always asking those questions. Is this permissible? Do we want to do this? Is this wise? But just don't get... Don't get wrapped up around the axle in the early days. Just start to get to know the person, okay? That's going well. That's going to lead to this next stage, which is what we'll call exclusivity, okay? Typically, in our, our normal jargon, boyfriend, girlfriend, official, Facebook official. That happened when I was in college, okay? That, that word. And now, now it's become the standard. I don't even know if it's the standard anymore, but it was the standard when I was in college. So I'm just calling it this this mutual exclusivity. Not just because I like big words, but because I think this kind of gets to the core of it. 
So after you've gone out a few times or whatever you're doing, however you're working that out, no magic number, no magic process here, but after you've gone out some, you're getting to know this person, you should try to gauge whether or not you should keep spending time together. If the feeling's mutual, you should then typically become exclusive. So, in other words, why I say that is is because this is a principle that's being worked out from the principle of love and considering your neighbors better than yourself and considering what's out of the best interest of, of this other person. Um, you're essentially saying, I'm focused on pursuing or being pursued by you. I'm not entertaining the ideas about anybody else right now. And that's really important. It's going to give you clarity in this process versus like being like, well, the Bible doesn't say anything about this, so I can kind of keep my options open. I just don't think it's helpful. Um, and I don't think it's ultimately loving. I think it's probably rooted in selfishness. So you should be exclusive in some, in some sense. You're not married, and you can choose to end it at any time. There's always an escape hatch, okay? But exclusivity with another person is most loving to them. And again, you're trying in this stage to, dis- to discern if marriage to this person could be a good choice. It's feasible. Um, you're growing in knowledge, continuing that. You're building trust. That's really important. That doesn't happen overnight. Uh, you can kind of underscore that. You're building trust. You're serving together. You're growing in relationships with each other's families and friends and those kinds of things and just seeing how all that is working itself out. But one of the major temptations in this stage is to assume that uh, God now sees the two of you differently because you're dating or you're courting or you're exclusive. You have a boyfriend or girlfriend. And I get the temptation toward this because something has changed. It's different than what you were, right? You've expressed some interest. You like each other. Um, and you've increased the commitment at some level. But in God's eyes, you're still very much single. And so playing marriage before you're married is a dangerous and deceitful business. So we've got to be on guard against that. Do you understand what I mean when I say playing marriage? You're, you're not married, but you're sort of acting like you are in certain ways. And again, I understand there's some, there's some gray, there's a continuum here. You're getting to know people, you're sharing stuff emotionally. And I'm not talking about the gray stuff. I'm talking about more explicit kinds of things. Like here are a few, I just wanted to list out a few of these common ways that we, we play marriage before we're married. Which really, if we peel that back, playing marriage sounds kind of nice. But really, if you peel it back, it's an idolatry of marriage. Okay? So I want you to see that. You're saying, I want marriage so badly that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start getting some of those benefits now before I'm actually married. Does that make sense? And you're willing to sort of circumvent what God has said because you idolize this thing. You think it's going to bring you fulfillment. And we talked ex- extensively about the idolatry of marriage a few weeks ago. Um, but here's just some practical ways, I think, that we, that we um, idolize, idolize the, the idea of marriage and we kind of tend to play marriage in our dating relationships. You spend all of your free time with the other person. Like, it all goes there. And so that means all your time's engulfed in a relationship and you're not being faithful in other areas of your life. So your school starts to suffer, your other relationships start to suffer, uh, your church involvement is, it kind of takes a back seat to the, to the dating relationship because it's, this is what you really, really want. And this can even happen in marriage too. It's not, it's not, this is not exclusive to a dating relationship. You can still idolize marriage in marriage, right? Um, but this is one of the, one of the common things in the, in the excitement of the moment. You spend all of your free time with the other person. 
And another way that we play marriage is by being unreserved in our communication. And so in marriage, and this is a little bit of a gray area, but in marriage, typically there isn't anything held back as we share our hearts to each other. That's one of the benefits of the one flesh union is just intimacy. Um, and that includes our thoughts and our emotions. But as you date, not everything is appropriate to share. And I think all of you would agree with that. Uh, not everything is always appropriate to share in a dating relationship. And there will be some navigating that and wisdom in between early dating and later dating. And just as, as it gets more certain that, okay, we're headed toward marriage over here. There's a continuum there. Something should wait until commitment has increased more and trust has been established. So don't be just unreserved in your communication um, or just kind of guard against that. Here's another kind of explicit one is that we see some, sometimes, and I think I was tempted with in, in my own relationship, is planning your future married life together before you're actually engaged. So, again, I understand when it gets close, like later in the dating phase, and it's almost certain that you're going to get engaged, you've both talked about it. But I'm talking just there's, there's time in between there where you may start just sort of fantasizing about your marriage one day. And I just don't think that's helpful for anybody. And it puts a lot of pressure on the relationship and a lot of maybe false hope and expectations. So don't do that. Don't plan your future married life together before you're engaged. That's one way that you play marriage. And then lastly here is the obvious one, becoming increasingly involved physically with the other person. That is probably the most tempting area in a dating relationship is to sort of, you know, in a Christian subculture, it's not having sex. But we back that up to start saying, okay, we want to start experiencing some of the physical intimacy that's reserved for marriage before marriage. So, this is probably going to be the most controversial portion of the, of the message today. So, I'm just going to go full disclosure on you guys. Um, but I want you to hear Scripture and kind of look at this, this concept of physical intimacy. Okay? Physical intimacy. So, when we think about... Physical intimacy and what that is, it is a gift that's reserved for marriage in Scripture. We don't really see any examples of this outside of a marriage relationship. And so I found this quote the other day as I was working through this this topic of physical intimacy, and I thought it was really helpful, so I just want to share it with you guys. Intimacy, how should we think about this biblically? Intimacy is the reward of commitment. It's the reward of commitment not the means of achieving it. That blew up, That just blows up the way the world thinks about intimacy and the culture thinks about intimacy. Intimacy, sexual intimacy, is a way of, uh, of achieving, um, you know, commitment. You know, I, I'm, I'm intimate with this person to make them more committed to me. And the scriptures are actually the opposite. Commitment is the, intimacy is the result of marriage, biblical commitment to one another. And so we could flesh this out even more. We could say intimacy thrives inside commitment, inside the walls of commitment. It actually thrives there, and it's destructive without it. So you've probably all heard the analogy, but think about a fire. Beautiful in the hearth, in the fireplace, and damaging outside of it, anywhere else, right? It'll burn your house down. But kept in the fireplace, it's beautiful, emits heat, controlled, and that's exactly the way physical intimacy works in marriage. So... I just want to uh, just open your Bibles up to Romans 13. I wrote down a few texts here. Actually, 
Actually, for the sake of time, I'm just going to summarize these because we've got a little bit more to cover and I've got a couple minutes left. Romans 13, 1 Thess 4, and 1 Timothy 5, 2, we've already been there. It talks about absolute purity. Treat these younger women with all purity, right? But Romans 13 and 1 Thess 4 are, are pretty explicit. Romans 13, Paul says things like, make no provision for the flesh. Don't allow, don't, don't, don't make a provision for it. Don't like give it a, give it an area that it can thrive in. And it's in the context of sexual impurity and promiscuity. And so he's saying, don't make any provision for the flesh. And he's not just talking about sexual inter- intercourse there. It's, it's for all of the things related to, to sexual intercourse and, and, um, infidelity there. So he says, make no provision. First Thessalonians 4, very similar. He talks about controlling ourselves, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles. So any of those desires that are, that are operating in you that's, that's, that's causing you to want to act out on those things with another person of the opposite sex is impurity. And this, it's, it's the passion of lust like the Gentiles. And so the Scriptures call us to control ourselves, not to sort of give ourselves over to some of that you know, in, in micro form in a dating relationship. So 1st S4 is really important there, and then 1st Timothy 5.2 with, with absolute purity. Now you're probably saying, okay, well, what about the other stuff? What about like holding hands and hugging and all the, all the whole nines? I'm not going to get into all of that. What I am going to say, though, is that most of that is foreplay. It's meant to go in a certain direction. Okay, It's like an on-ramp. So imagine just sort of parking your car in the on-ramp. And thinking nothing bad is going to happen to me because I'm in the on-ramp. It's like, okay, no, that's not, this, this thing's supposed to go somewhere. And the destination of that is, is, is sexual intimacy. That's where that's meant to go. And so, as you back that up, start thinking through and be honest with yourself, and as it's appropriate with the person that you're dating, about what's happening physiologically and mentally as a result of the actions that you're doing. It's probably the best way to put it. So, is there well, just what is happening physiologically, mentally, as a result of the actions that you're doing? And again, First Timothy five two needs to be reigning in your mind. No impurity, all purity. That's how it has. To, we have to be characterized by those things. And so, do not feel insecure if you can't even hold hands. It's far better not to hold hands while dating, and be pure than to hold hands. And I think it's possible, obviously, to hold hands and be. Sure, I mean, that's obvious. But I'm saying, even if you, if you have to be that radical, give yourself permission to do that. Even if your Christian subculture says, what are you doing? That's weird, you know? That is bizarre. You just take that as a reproach of Christ and you just keep moving because you're going to be fine. In fact, Christ is going to bless your socks off in marriage because you, you were pursuing that, okay? So, anyway, I'm just, I get, I get frustrated in the church whenever well-meaning people are like, why are you not doing that? Do you not even like that person? You know, and it's like, do you understand? Are you on what planet are you on? Okay, so let's look at the text together. So, foreplay, you know, this, this inner, the, the intimacy that we kind of, we kind of dabble with is many times just foreplay for, um, for sexual intimacy. And so, our goal is not to be prudish, okay? Our goal is we, we want to maximize future intimacy. That's, that's what we're after, is maximizing that, not damaging it. And so we have to think about, okay, where does intimacy come from? 
It comes from trust, okay? When boundaries are pushed because of selfish desire, you're eroding not only purity, but also the trust element of your relationship. And here's another quote. You're essentially saying that your pleasure or the security that comes from sexual attraction are worth more than that person's holiness or the relationship with Jesus. And so, put it positively, guys, you're actually practicing Ephesians 5, which is what a biblical husband is. He's laying down his life, his desires, for the purity of his wife. Ephesians 5. So every time you deny that, you're cultivating what it actually takes to be a biblical husband. And the typical guy's temptation in this is to begin to gratify these impulses now, in little micro-ways that you can kind of salve your conscience in. And the typical lady's temptation in this is to feel an added security and love from the physical affection. And to feel insecure without it. So how do I know that he really likes me if he's not blank? We've got to guard our hearts. And this lie that we believe is that marriage is going to be awkward if we're not somehow getting used to the physical side of it now. That is a lie. And every married person in this room can say, Amen. Because if there is sweet trust in this relationship, you have no problems on the other side of that. Okay? No problems. So don't believe that lie. Get it out of your mind and replace it with the truth. And this is a battle of faith, not merely self-control. Do you hear that? It's a battle of faith. And what do I mean by that? It's a battle of believing God versus your desires and acting on that faith and saying, I trust you, God, even though everything in me wants to go this way. I'm going to trust you. Everything in the culture is telling me this way. Sometimes everything in my Christian culture is telling me to go this way. But I'm going to trust you now. Does that make sense? And believe that there's future intimacy that's awaiting me on the other side of this. And so practically what we should do, if we want to think about practical stuff, purity is a battle of believe God. What we should do here is we shouldn't do anything that's sexually arousing as we interact with each other. You should, you should set clear guidelines in how you're going to relate to each other in, in this way. And I would add, set clear guidelines with your mentors. Talk to her dad, guys, about what's appropriate and what's not. Okay? That's what you should be doing if you want to be blameless in this, in this area. Avoid being alone together in private. And I say avoid, because I know it's not, you're not, Animals, you have to keep caged up, but like, just avoid it, just generally. It's just not always helpful. And, and the, the private element here, I'm not saying don't go to dinner together or whatever, just, just don't be alone a lot together. Dress modestly, both guys and girls. Guard your thinking is in terms of how you're, just the, the mental battles that you, that you run into in this, this area. And pursue accountability. Be transparent. And again, if you don't want to do that, ask yourself why. And so as trust is built, you're working through a lot of these significant areas. Uh, the attention turns to what needs to happen in order to, to make the next phase a reality, which is engagement uh, is next on the docket. And we're already out of time. So that's really, engagement's obviously the next stage. And just, there's a lot here that I have on my notes, but we're five minutes over. And uh, so maybe we'll talk about the particulars of engagement with Rich. And uh, you can figure all that out then. Obviously, engagement leads to marriage. And, uh, and so we'll, we'll, conclude, we'll conclude this next week in our, our Q&A. I'll come back to some of that next week.